1: the following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion ideas skepticism and adult subject matter topics will be discussed using adult language sometimes gratuitously get ready to move the conversation forward this ain't your granddad's news and comment show this is i doubt it podcast with Brittany page and jesse Dalamore. It is a nice round number, episode seven hundred fifty of I Doubt It podcast. I'm your host Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and scholarly Brittany Page. Everybody.
2: Well, we have some uh, updates on some
1: updates,
2: <laughs> some updates on <laughs> on Keith. Yeah, and it's been uncomfortable because people have been asking about Keith and. Um Keith is no longer in our house. Wow, you're really dragging
1: this out. Keith is not dead. He's just no longer our dog.
2: That is <laughs> thank you for saving me oh, wow. from myself, which what I sometimes happening? I sometimes need. Um so listen, we had Keith for longer than we We had Keith longer than when we revealed it on the show. Yeah,
1: the day we announced it, like when I posted on Facebook about it, we'd had him for uh a full maybe longer than a week.
2: And we were on a trial period for eight weeks, I believe. Yeah. And the trial period was because of what the rescue had labeled like severe behavioral problems with the chewing on the leash and the uh, chewing on the hose. Those were the two like major things. Which to them.
1: we beat. Like immediately we beat those.
2: Yeah, they were not an issue at all. What became a severe issue and we talked about it was the potty training. And it actually got worse after we had announced
1: Can I can I talk about just how immediate I posted that on Facebook. Yeah. Everybody was over the moon, so excited and happy, as were we. Yeah. And within an hour mm-hmm. of me posting on Facebook, he jumped up on our couch. Right. It's not a flex, but a leather couch
2: and just... It's from Wayfair, so it's definitely yeah, not a yeah. flex. Well, I mean, it's not like, <laughs>
1: oh, or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But he jumped up on... I guess it probably would have been worse on a cloth couch. But I he, don't know. But he just evacuated his bladder, yeah. let it loose all over the couch. And it wasn't like a, oh, man, I got to go. It was, I'm going to go find a place to pee. Oh, shit, there's a couch. That's the place.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a lot. So here's what happened. I mean, it turned into a situation where we had to either have him in his crate, which he would immediately pee in, regardless of how recent he would be taken out. I mean, we would take him outside, give him plenty of opportunity to pee, and then we would put him in his crate and he would walk in there and immediately pee in it. And part of this is because the behavioral issues that he was displaying when he was at the kennel. They stopped taking him out for potty. So for months, he learned to pee in his own in his own crate and lay in it, which is not natural for a dog, not even a puppy. And he was four years old. So we we tried very diligently when we weren't putting him in the crate, which we didn't want to do. We had to watch him. 24 yeah. 7 we could not let him out of our sight
1: let me also say when we say the kennel staff we're not talking about the rescue people
2: no the rescue works with a kennel where they have the rescue dogs right stay
1: the, the rescue people have been nothing but amazing throughout the entire process
2: for sure for sure and let's just kind of get that out of the way he did not return to the kennel in fact they they wouldn't let him return, but that's not yeah. why he's not there. The rescue staff was able to find him a home that he went to, not a family that has adopted him, but a home that he's staying with, a volunteer from the rescue, while they continue to find him a home. So he doesn't have to be in a kennel. He doesn't have to go through that again.
1: And from the conversation I had from the, the president or the founder or the, the head dude at the rescue organization, it sounds like they've got something worked out. It's just going to take some time to make it happen. And... It's probably going to be an amazing situation for Keith.
2: Yeah. And, and well, and it wasn't just the peeing on the couch. It happened several times, different areas yeah, yeah, of he, the house. He pooped in the house wasn't after the, a long period of time of being in the house. Not
1: an isolated incident.
2: And when I say a long period of time being in the house, I mean, like, the the weeks that we had him, he, like, was still p- pooping in the house. It was very strange. So um, it was sad. It was definitely sad to do. But You know, you said something to me that made me feel a lot better about it. Popeye had been at the rescue and he was adopted by a family before we adopted him.
1: Yeah, I think we've talked about this.
2: And the family was told, do not give him his eye medication until he trusts you because Because he's a biter. He will chomp. He will bite you. (laughs) And they didn't listen. They decided to try to give him his eye medication before they had built that trust. And what do you know? Popeye bit their ass and gave the guy stitches. Yeah. So they returned him to the rescue, which, you know, fair enough. Um, we ended up with him and it was the best possible thing they could have done was return him to the rescue so that we could have him because yeah. frankly, we didn't mind being bit.
1: Yeah. Well, also <laughs> the, well, Popeye didn't, I mean, there were know, isolated I'm, incidents. I'm making but a joke. The, the chaos surrounding the, the adoption of Popeye. Yeah. Was just that. There were was some chaos involved, but once it settled out, mm-hmm. he ended up in the best situation that could have been for him. Right. And we think that that's very likely going to happen for Keith.
2: And the rescue didn't know the extent of these, these potty issues. So now they're looking for placement with a family who can dedicate the time that this is going to take and the attention because I work full time outside of the home. Jesse, you're home, but you work full time. Yeah. And so, like, it was stressful for you to try to watch the dog 24-7, not just lock him in his pee crate. I mean, that's no better than well, that, being at the at the the kennel.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, that's it. I mean, it, it is, it, it's not, this is, this. I think this is less, uh, at least I hope I can convince everyone that this is less about... Me and my inconvenience than it is for about keith and, and his his health and happiness because yeah it's it was a bummer for me because he couldn't just come in here and lay in the new bed that we placed where Papa used to lay mm-hmm. and just crash out mm-hmm. and be in here while I worked. He had to be because i couldn't you really had to have eyes on him. At all, he couldn't even like walk behind the couch. No, no. Because what's he gonna do back there? Right. You had to be with him at all times. Mm-hmm. And that's so if I'm working and most of the day I'm up here in the studio mm-hmm. doing my stuff, my studio, studio thing, studio stuff, <laughs> and uh, he'd have to be in a crate, which is again a pea crate a miserable fucking existence for any animal it is a but a pea crate absolutely
2: because that's what he would do
1: right so not fair to him um i was after 3 weeks fucking ex- mentally exhausted
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> with worry and everything else so Let's, anyway yeah it's good all around it is
2: good all around we're
1: laughing because we really do feel like it's what what is absolutely best for him not just for us
2: but we're also nervous to talk about it because we don't want to look like we like failed him we really tried our best and we really do believe it's going to end up with the best situation for him and he had no attachment to us at all. I mean, we <laughs> we dropped him off. And like normally with Popeye, he would be like looking for us. Like, where the hell are they going? Like freaking out. Yeah. And Keith had zero concerns when we left. I mean, zero. And we it was really special because we donated all of Popeye's old food Um you know, all these cans of food that he never had the opportunity to eat that we, like, bought a week before he passed. And all of his toys, which he didn't give a shit about. He only loved one rope, and we have that on his shrine. Popeye. Yeah. Keith loved Keith. all of the other toys. Oh, yeah. He was like a little toddler, every well, day taking every single toy out of the basket. If
1: you remember, we went, and as a joke, we bought Popeye a bunch of raccoon-themed yeah. toys. Because we wanted to take <laughs> wanted video to of that him. Uh, we wanted to make that
3: happen. We wanted
1: to take video of him destroying raccoons. Yeah. And Popeye didn't give two half a shits about that at at all. all. Mm -hmm. Keith loved killing the raccoon. Yeah, he tore him up. he took him with him and he was was happy about that. But anyway, we don't need to belabor this. We just wanted to, a lot of people have asked, hey, how's he doing? How's he doing? How's he doing? Um, We have gotten updates from the rescue. He is doing well. Yeah. He is happy. And I think they're making progress. Mm -hmm. Progress we were not able to make because of, our particular lifestyle. Yeah. So
2: So I think it'll work out. And thank you for everybody who was interested um, and asking questions about his well-being.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Anyway, uh, we're going to get to an email here. Before I do, I want to drop the phone number, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo or a regular old-fashioned email, as this person did, to it at dollamore.com.
2: Hi, Brittany and Jesse. It's Roxanne from LA.
1: Hello, Roxanne from LA.
2: Sorry to bring up something frivolous, but I. Los Alamos. Huh?
1: Los Alamitos. um, Or Los Angeles.
2: I believe it would be Los Angeles. Uh, All right. Just making sure. Yeah. Sorry to bring up something frivolous, but I was looking at pictures and commentary on this year's Met Gala, and the topic of performative activism came up. The theme this year was American Freedom. AOC attended this year's gala wearing a dress with the message, Tax the Rich, written across it. People online commented that tickets to the gala are prohibitively expensive and that a politician like AOC had no business attending. She was surrounded by the wealthy, and no one talked about the protesters outside the event who were being assaulted and arrested arrested by police. All of this to ask, what is your stance on this? Do you think actions like hers accomplish anything? Do you think leftist messaging like tax the rich have been co-opted by the mainstream media? Also, so grateful that the California recall failed. I breathed a sigh of relief when Jesse read the results in the prior episode.
1: Yes. We're very pleased about it too.
2: So there's several things here, um I don't know a lot about the Met Gala. I don't care a lot about it. The
1: the way I understand it, she didn't pay $30,000 for a ticket. The people who represent those areas in New York who are politicians, and uh, they're they're just offered a gratis uh, entry into the event.
2: Yeah, because I think it's... It's like a fundraiser and so some people yeah. get to go for free to yeah. like raise the notoriety of the events or get attend I don't know whatever The clothes. AOC
1: didn't outfits. pay $30,000 to go to this thing
2: Yeah so there's there's several parts of this but one part of it is that Google searches for tax the rich surged on Google Trends yeah. after she wore the dress So say what you will about whether or not it's performative and whatever but i mean the fact that people were googling tax the rich yeah suggests that possibly this got a message to people that they wanted to search like tax the rich oh what what's this about hopefully they read something interesting or informative about it
1: also guess what we are talking about it now yeah a larger national conversation took place because she wore the dumb dress With the message on it.
2: Yes. Well, and hopefully they read the ProPublica reporting specifically when it comes to taxing the rich. Because I feel like that reporting on how much tax like Jeff Bezos paid, for example, um, all of that is really informative when it comes to the issue of taxing the rich. I want to
1: get to that. I have those numbers here. Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Michael Bloomberg, Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And I also have a reporting on the, the 91 companies who paid little to nothing. And some of them actually got a tax refund. John Deere. Um, But before we do that, let's talk about this performative, performative, um, what was it? Uh, Activism. Activism, right. Slacktivism, some would call it.
2: Well, do you think this is an example of performative activism?
1: No, because anything AOC does catches the ire of conservatives, and then they start the larger conversation, Mm -hmm. like Tucker Carlson, for instance.
2: Well, and some people say that awareness isn't enough. Would you agree with that in this specific case?
1: Awareness isn't enough, but, but uh, coming to an understanding that it is the way it is, mm-hmm. you have to start somewhere mm-hmm. to change the policy. Right. And making Americans aware of it, mm-hmm. believe that it's a real thing, yeah. and then taking action is absolute. Listen, polling numbers is what gets shit done. When when there's a shift in public opinion about something, then politicians finally get off their cowardice uh, perches and get something done. Yeah. So, yeah, it is the first step. Whether we like it or not, it is the first step.
2: Well, I like that you brought up Tucker Carlson because part of this is also we get to see, like, the terrible conservative arguments in response to things like this. Yeah. And his was perfection in terms of how terrible it was.
4: Well, if you've been awake at any point over the past 24 hours, you've probably seen the picture of Sandy Cortez showing up at a $30,000 a head gala in New York wearing a dress that says tax the rich across the back. So Cortez claims she wore the outfit to start a conversation about what it means to be a quote, working-class woman of color, and not at all she would stare at a picture of her butt. That's her view.
5: Have you seen the back? No. We have a message. Oh, my God. Tax the rich. What a model. When Aurora and I were first kind of partnered, uh, we really started having a conversation about what it means to be working-class women of color at the Met, and... You know, while the Met is known for its, its spectacle, we should
4: have a conversation about it. <laughs> she's so dumb and so annoying, but also kind of clever. And she's baiting us here, obviously, and is tempting to rise to the debate. Working class? Right. Sandy Cortez grew up in an affluent suburb very far from the Bronx. Her dad ran an architectural firm. She went to BU. Like so many vapid rich girls, her primary interests are wearing trendy clothes and talking about herself. Working class? Please. Sandy Cortez is a paid defender of entrenched power. We could go on and on and on. On the other hand, if we did go on, we'd merely be feeding her narcissism, so tonight we're going to pass. That's it. No more Sandy Cortez talk.
2: Well, the Swanson food man... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wants to make bold claims about other people being very privileged and uppity and wealthy.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it, seriously, it is just mwah, listening to the ultimate in entitlement and Rich Brat talk about someone being, oh, she, she notice he doesn't say she grew up in, in affluence. Yeah. In affluence. She grew up in an area where rich people live.
2: Well, and that's why he calls her Sandy. I had no idea why he calls her Sandy, but apparently that was what she was known as in her school. And so like it's a way, I guess, to like discredit um, her story, I guess, by calling her Sandy. I don't know. Like that's a fancy name. I-, I don't know. Is that like a reference to Greece or something? I don't get it.
1: I don't even get that reference about what reference you're talking about. So you
2: haven't seen Greece? Who's Sandy? Yeah, I don't... Yeah, Sandy is, I believe, I don't I, Olivia I, Newton-John. I, I
1: don't give a single fuck about that at all.
2: Well, I try to connect everything to Greece. so if we could, <laughs> like, <laughs> explore that a little bit.
1: Well, you know, spoiler alert. No. <laughs> next week, this is going to become a Greece podcast, so... Oh,
2: No, I mean, I'm just being
1: shitty about it. I don't know. I don't know. But it, it just... What it is, it's a way to diminish her. Yes. It's like when I call him Lil' Tucker or... Or when Donald Trump called him Lil Rubio or low-energy Jeb. Yeah,
2: which is your favorite thing that I do, <laughs> it by makes, the way.
1: Makes me so happy. I just
2: casually talk about people as being a low-energy Jeb. You,
1: you, it's like something you'll say to me, like, oh, I'm fucking tired. Oh, real low-energy Jeb, huh? <laughs>
2: Um. Yeah, but he said she's dumb and annoying. Like, wow, what a great argument against That's how some, she shouldn't have worn the tax the rich dress.
1: Some cutting analysis from Tucker Carlson. That's why dumb he makes the big bucks and annoying. Yeah, yeah. Well, he wasn't the only one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Bill Maher. I mean, can there be a person who just every time a take you hear uh, you hear a take from Bill Maher, you know it's going to be a bad take?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that he. I mean, who can consistently have the wrong fucking idea about something on a regular basis? Joe Rogan. Yeah. Again, another one. Yeah. So Megan what, Kelly. It makes. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. All Brad right. Weinstein. All right. All right.
2: All the thesis, all the videos that are in my YouTube feed because I keep hate watching everything.
1: Th- thesis withdrawn. Here's Bill Maher <laughs> on Friday show, r- rambling on about AOC's dress and talking about how the rich really do pay their fair share.
6: I also wanted to show the picture of AOC wearing her dress because this got all the attention this week. Uh, This is something that, you know, the Met Gala attracts lots of crazy outfits. But this is a new thing that people have been doing. They've been wearing, I guess, their message, their life philosophy, tax the rich. I just want to read the, I had some sets here. Oh, New York City, 65,000 the richest 65,000 New Yorkers uh, out of 8 million people pay 51% of taxes.
1: Of New York? What proportion is that? I'm
6: just saying 65,000 out of 8 million pay half. And their taxes are So it's are not still like we don't tax the
7: rich at all. Mm hmm. We've been no. slashing taxes okay. on the rich for 50 years. Yeah, okay. The rich are richer now okay. than they have ever been. And the lie we've been yeah, told uh, the whole time we've been cutting okay. taxes on the rich was that if the rich just have the most money they can possibly have, we will all benefit. We will okay. all have jobs. Well, and again. it's a lie, again. and it hasn't come true. No, no. Uh, and we need to go back, back to the high tax rate so
1: I love that he's not, he, he's stating his opinion. And then one of the experts, when they start to talk and push back against his. His thesis or whatever the fuck he's trying to get across. Mm-hmm. Then he won't let them talk.
2: Oh, no! What, what, oh, 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 oh stop making good points. Stop. <laughs> Why st- did I invite you on my panel? Yeah,
1: stop making absolutely reasonable assertions about the thing that I'm wrong about. Mm-hmm. You're making me look like an asshole.
2: Yeah. Well, and Dan Savage was actually really good on this episode. I, I appreciated many of the pushback, uh, many of the things that he said as pushback.
1: Let's let him continue.
6: That's fine. I'm all for ending income inequality, but let's not lie. The rich pay a lot of the taxes.
5: Yes, because guess what? The rich are getting richer and richer, okay? And I know we're a bit like the Breakfast
2: breakfast Club. He's the cool kid, I'm the geek or the nerd, (laughs) okay, on the show. But um, I'll point out that quantitative easing, super loose monetary policy has massively inflated the assets of anybody who's wealthy, and the gap between rich and poor has been rising and rising. So it's not surprising that the rich are paying a large chunk of the tax. And okay. if
7: you want to build that pipeline
6: to bring the water from the east coast to the west coast, you can't tax the waitresses. You can't tax the help at the Met Gala. You're going to have to tax the well, rich. Fuckers most of at the them Met don't Gala. pay taxes already. They pay a higher proportion of income tax than Jeff Bezos does. You know, that his company does. Yes, I understand that.
1: I'm going to stop. I was going to let the whole play clip play out. Let's address that right now. Based on what you talked about earlier, this ProPublica report, I think we've talked about on the on the show before. Mm-hmm. This dropped uh, two months ago, three months ago. Jeff Bezos, between 2014 and 2018, his true tax rate, 0.98%. So tell me again, Bill Maher, how Jeff Bezos is paying his fair share. Because I can tell you this, our tax rate is multiples higher, thousands of percent higher than fewer than 1% and Amazon is no better. In t- In 2018, Amazon paid zero in income tax, zero. The multi-billion dollar company paid, z- the report covers 379 companies from fortune list that were profitable in 2018 and finds that 91 paid an effective federal tax of z- rate of zero or less. Those companies come from a wide range of industries and include the likes of Amazon, Starbucks, and Chevron. This is from CNBC, this particular thing I'm reading.
2: So, But also according to ProPublica, apparently in 2007 and in uh, 2011, Jeff Bezos did not pay a penny in federal income taxes. And then same with Elon Musk in 2018. So when Bill Maher pushes against that and says, no, this is a company thing, yeah. No, actually, the richest people are getting away with paying zero And in taxes. their companies. Yeah.
1: Bill Moore's just, he's fucking flat wrong about this.
2: Well, and he probably feels vulnerable as a wealthy person yeah. who pays a lot in taxes that he wants to be like, um, excuse me, actually, we are paying taxes. Well, I just
1: love that he says, I'm all for ending in- income inequality, but just don't take any more money from rich people mm-hmm. Then how, pray tell, sir. Do you presume we do that Mm -hmm. because you have to tax the rich at levels in a progressive tax system like we did in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s? Up until Ronald Reagan, that was the way of the world. We need a wealth tax that has been put forward by Elizabeth Warren. There are several ways that we can accomplish this, none of which involve allowing the ultra insanely wealthy to not pay even a regular effective tax rate like a twenty two or twenty five percent jeff Bezos zero point nine eight percent between two thousand and fourteen and two thousand and eighteen get the get the fuck out of here
2: mm-hmm. well, and I imagine there 's some level of comfortability that Belmar has after all this time of doing his show that. I mean, I wonder how much time he really dedicates to being fully informed about these issues before he's going to talk about them because it seems like he really isn't aware of things like this ProPublica reporting, um, information on how the wealthiest Americans are not paying federal taxes. And he just kind of talks out of his ass about the issue. It seems like, you know, if you're going to have a show on HBO where you discuss these political issues, you might want to be fully informed or let the people on your panel that know more than you educate you rather than trying to cut them off. The
1: part of the problem here is that uh, a lot of these billionaires become celebrity type figures. We lost, I wouldn't say a substantial amount, but a notable amount of of, uh, Patreon support when I was shitting on Elon Musk during this whole thing.
5: Mm, mm-hmm. Remember,
1: I, I think even people wrote uh, reviews about, well, you, uh, Elon Musk, you, you, you can't expect him to pay more than what's required. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but you don't. he's entering into a system of tax avoidance, whether it be legal or not, where he's borrowing money. I'm not going to get into all of it. But because he's a celebrity-type figure, people let him off the hook because they're a fan of Teslas or... PayPal or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Ugh.
2: Well, he has some sort of strange fandom that I don't really understand.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to continue because I, people get pissed off when you start talking about what a dumb shit Elon Musk is.
6: Yes, there are there are lots of things we need to amend about the capitalist system. We we have crony capitalism in this country, no doubt about it. I'm just saying. You wear it, you wear a tax the rich on your ass. And people are always saying rich don't pay taxes. They pay some taxes. They pay a big part of the freight already. I'm not saying it shouldn't be more, perhaps, but let's, you not are saying lie. that. Now, I want to show you some other dresses that people were wearing at the Met Gala because now that this is.
1: And I don't care about the rest of that.
2: So, again, he says, let's not lie that rich people are being taxed. Okay. So, again, you're obscuring the platform that AOC has. I mean, no one is coming out and saying, like, no rich people are being taxed. We need to start from zero and start taxing rich people. That's not, that's not something that's happening. Yeah. So, he says, let's not lie. Who's lying?
1: Yeah, Exactly.
2: And he and he says, perhaps, after that thing about, I'm not saying we shouldn't increase the taxes, perhaps, um, it sounds like you're of, not super of, on board a lot with of waffling. it. waffling. Yeah.
1: A lot of waffling. Yeah.
2: Not too excited it's, it's about big,
1: it. it. It's a big breakfast over on the Real Time with Bill Maher show. Yeah. Because of waffles. Yeah. You looked at me like, what?
2: Well, I'm putting it together now. <laughs> it could have been...
1: You mean my joke was not that great? It
2: could have been better.
1: Hmm. It could have been better. You mean just like rich people could maybe pay more? I mean... Perhaps. Maybe they could pay a little
2: more. Perhaps. Perhaps.
1: All right. Perhaps. I'm glad Bill and I have so much in common. Yeah. Both of our jokes aren't good (laughs) or funny.
2: Do you make people um, stare at you while you look into the camera and tell jokes and then laugh at your own jokes?
1: He is... He is... Listen, uh, that's not something that bothers me as much as it bothers some. The new rules... The laughing at your own jokes thing.
2: No, that's something that you always talk about, no? Well,
1: I don't. I just don't like Bill Maher, but th- there's a way to laugh that kind of gives the audience permission to laugh at what you're saying. There's a way to do it. Yeah. You can tell with Bill Maher, this is my, my theory, of which jokes he wrote and had input in. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones he's laughing at, because some of them he doesn't laugh at.
2: Okay. That's what I was alluding to. I was trying to reference your specific complaint that you Mm. have, and I missed the mark on that one.
1: You missed the mark. I apologize. (laughs) So anyway, I guess we're still on this email.
2: Yeah. Roxanne. Uh,
1: Roxanne. Uh, yeah, listen, I, I think that there is a place for it. Obviously, is it as powerful as actually changing the tax code? No, fuck no. But we got to start somewhere. And the fact that we've just talked for you know 20 minutes about AOC's dress and the messaging, and because of her wearing the dress, we just dropped a whole bunch of numbers of people. I'll give the others. Warren Buffett, between 2014 and 2018, his true tax rate, according to ProPublica, 0.1%. Jeff Bezos, I already talked about, 0.98%. Mike Bloomberg, 1.30%. Elon Musk, 3.27%. Think about what you pay in taxes. Think about it. And then try to justify someone like Jeff Bezos, whose whose wealth grew between 2014 and 2018 by $99 billion dollars. Ninety-nine thousand million dollars, and he's paying less than one percent. Fuck you, Bill Maher. Fuck you, Jeff Bezos, and fuck anybody else who tries to justify this immoral bullshit that our tax code apparently allows.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Ugh, no good. Anyway, Roxanne, thank you so much for the call, uh, for the for the for the email. We appreciate it very much. If you, too, would like to sound off, get your opinion on the record, ask a question, you can do so by calling 657-464-7609 or email, as Roxanne did, to it at dollamore.com.
2: So something that Roxanne also alluded to in the email is that the California recall failed. And we announced that live on the previous show because it was happening in real time. And it was really no contest. I mean, it was a horrible oh failure on the part yeah. of California Republicans, a really embarrassing, embarrassing situation. And by the
1: way, it was like a quarter of a billion dollars. Oh, a total waste. The recall election. Yeah. Seriously, like $250 million to, to, to have this really? bullshit happen. Unbelievable. Yeah. it's Super expensive.
2: Which, of course, the recall was partly about um, the Republicans saying that Gavin Newsom failed to address the housing crisis, deal with homelessness. And I wonder how much um, that amount of money could have benefited. Homeless people.
1: Yeah, no kidding. People without housing. Homeless, homeless vets, which they love to talk about. Yeah,
2: that's yeah. interesting.
1: But it failed. The, the recall failed roughly. I mean, all the votes not in right now, but roughly 65 to 35%. So it got just fucking worked at the polls. Yeah. People roundly rejected the idea that Gavin Newsom should be recalled. Mm-hmm. Us being among them.
2: Yes, so uh, Gavin Newsom on Thursday signed three housing-related bills. uh, In a statement announcing that he signed these bills, he said, quote, the housing affordability crisis is undermining the California dream for families across the state and threatens our long-term growth and prosperity, making a meaningful impact on this crisis will take bold investments, strong collaboration across sectors, and political courage from our leaders and communities to do the right thing and build housing for all. So we wanted to talk a little bit about about what the result will be from these bills.
0: Governor Gavin Newsom signed new legislation today that he says will address the state's housing crisis.
2: The new laws will pave the way
5: for upzoning within traditionally single-family neighborhoods, allowing for the creation of more housing units.
0: As News 8's Richard Allen reports, supporters are applauding the move, but critics say it will damage communities without making homes any more affordable. Well, that's right. The Newsom administration calls this legislation historic, but it is also controversial.
5: The housing crisis is an issue so large that there is no single solution.
0: State Senate President Pro Tem and San San Diegan Tony Atkins says part of the solution is Senate Bill 9, legislation she sponsored which will increase housing density in areas now zoned for single-family homes.
2: SB 9 is a critical piece of the puzzle
0: under SB 9 a property owner could split their lot into two separate lots each required to be at least 1200 square feet and build a two resident duplex home on each half so in place of the one original home there would now be up to four SB 10 allows a single family property located in a high traffic area or near public transit to be rezoned without an environmental review so the owner could tear down an existing home and replace it with a small apartment building of up to 10 units in its place. While it's up to cities or counties to voluntarily adopt SB 10's rezoning, SB 9 would preempt city zoning and apply to most residential neighborhoods across the state. However, cities would have some input into the size and design of the new construction and certain neighborhoods like historic districts would be protected.
3: They do not address the problem. Maria
0: Calban is founder of United Neighbors, a coalition of Californians fighting for local control over zoning decisions.
3: It ruins neighborhoods for no reason at all and it doesn't solve a damn thing.
0: Critics of the legislation say it will not create more affordable housing as it intends to, but instead change the character of existing communities.
7: These are attacks on single-family zoning.
0: T. Keith Gurney is a board member of Livable California, a nonprofit dedicated to protecting neighborhoods and building affordable
7: housing. By increasing the development potential of every lot, single-family lot in California, the price of housing isn't going to go down. It's only going to go up. What happens then (laughs) is that the American dream of homeownership for younger Californians evaporates.
0: But advocates of the legislation counter it will expand opportunities for more...
1: I want to stop it there before we get to the rebuttal from the expert.
2: Okay.
0: (laughs) These people,
1: what they largely claim is that if you allow, like let's say we own the home that we're sitting in right now. We don't. Mm -hmm. We rent. Mm -hmm. But if we owned this lot and we were able to split it up into two lots Mm -hmm. and then put two structures on it that had multiple apartments in it, multiple domiciles, they claim it's going to lower the property value, and that's what's going to be dangerous for a community like the city we live in. But then he's also saying, but what this is going to do is cause property values to rise. Mm -hmm. Those two things can't exist at the same time. Mm -hmm. It can't destroy property value, but also cause property value to rise.
2: Well, you're hearing a lot from the NIMBYs in this clip, which is not in my backyard. And you're hearing the same buzzwords that you always hear. I mean, these are the people who get upset when they want to have affordable housing and like a parking lot. And they're like, this parking lot is central to the community that we've built. (laughs) This cracked
1: parking lot where weeds are growing up through. We have
2: so many childhood memories. Yeah.
1: I was going to get a little more aggressive, but I'll stop.
2: Let's, let's Well, ac- no, because they're saying the same things. That, I mean, you're hearing them say, quote, ruins neighborhoods. This risks ruining yeah. neighborhoods. This, quote, will change the character of our communities. I mean, these are it's, all it's buzzwords. very nebulous stuff. But it's buzzwords for what they're talking about yeah. in terms of lower-income people moving into their communities and in their neighborhoods, and they don't want that to happen. And also, you're hearing them talk about how this should be left up to the cities. You should leave this up to the cities. Well, that's already been attempted. And in the Ezra Klein article that I referred to about how uh, Gavin Newsom is more than the lesser of two evils, uh, Nancy Skinner, a state senator, was quoted on this issue specifically related to housing, saying that, quote, for years, the legislature just urged city governments to be more, more responsive. We tried to create some incentives, and only in the last five years did we realize this is a statewide crisis and we can't just leave it to local governments to get it fixed. It took the legislature a long time to get to the place of realizing the urging and carrots didn't do it. We have to do the mandates.
1: Well, that's the, Listen, that's the. It's a criticism, and we're going to get back to the clip here, but this is a criticism from the right all the time, is how expensive, astronomically expensive, it is to rent or buy a home in California. Mm-hmm. And then when when, when uh, Gavin Newsom tries to do something about that um, in a direct way that's absolutely going to have an impact, then all of a sudden it's, oh, my God, he's ruining it. Right? I can't believe what he's doing. Right? You mean trying to solve the problem you're con- consistently criticizing him about all right back to the clip and the actual rebuttal from someone who's intimately involved in this struggle
0: californians desperate to enter the tight housing market there's a vast chunk of middle-income californians who are really getting squeezed from both ends. Matthew Lewis is with California YIMBY, or Yes In My Backyard, dedicated to affordable housing and more inclusive communities. The reason SB 9 is such a big deal is that now for the first time since, you know, really the 1970s, um, it is a back to the future bill. It will be legal to build duplexes. In areas that are now designated for only single-family housing. More homes on your block is not going to destroy your neighborhood the character of our neighborhoods is not going to change overnight. This bill is going to take effect incrementally over a number of years. David Garcia is policy director for the Turner Center for Housing Innovation at UC Berkeley, which found that SB 9 would allow the creation of about 700,000 more housing units statewide. Although realistically, the actual number would likely be lower than that. That same analysis by the Turner Center found that in San Diego County, about 9,000 single-family parcels would be enabled to build new housing as a result of SB 9. It could be meaningful, uh, but it's not going to be as, I think, disruptive um, or as productive as as some people say it may be. Critics fear this legislation will spur speculation. To address this, SB 9 requires a property owner who wants to split their lot to actually live in one of the housing units for at least three years.
7: It's a paper tiger. Who's going to enforce it?
0: Supporters, though, see this legislation as opening new opportunities for Californians who might otherwise leave the state to pursue homeownership elsewhere. We're actually pretty excited that we might be turning the corner here while their opponents say they're not relenting.
3: We're going to still fight it. We hope we can make some sense out of all of this so it works for everybody.
0: Also today, Governor Newsom allocated $1.75 billion to speed up construction of 6,500 affordable multifamily housing units throughout the state.
2: So you heard that guy who's opposed to these these bills saying... It's a paper tiger. Who's going to enforce it? So right. what are you so worried about then if it's right. not even going to be enforced? Why are you being interviewed on the news and panicking about the parking lots? I mean, not parking lots, but effectively. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I get the concept. Ruining neighborhoods, changing the character of our communities. Both
1: increasing property values and destroying property values. They want it all the ways.
2: Well, and I would love to know his solution. What does he have in mind as far as a solution? You know, it is... He likes status quo. It's wildly expensive to live here, as you already um, stated. California's median sales price for single-family homes is now... $811,000, up 21.7% since July of last year. And I also wanted, this wasn't something that was mentioned, but the advocacy group California Community Builders has said that the legislation approved by lawmakers this year would help narrow a racial wealth gap in California where more than 60% of whites own their homes compared to 35% of blacks and about 40% of Latinos. Yeah. So this is also an important uh, perspective as well, where you had the individuals that were interviewed in that news clip that were the quote unquote opposition. They were both um, older white people. White
1: people. Right. Well, listen, here's the other thing is if we're able to lower the cost of housing in California, then people will be able to use their money elsewhere to better their lives if a massive portion of their earned income isn't going to rent of some shitty apartment somewhere. Mm -hmm. I was shocked. Listen, when I moved to California from Boise um, over a decade ago now, I went from paying $825 a month for a two-bedroom, two-bath, pretty bitchin' apartment to $1,500 for a one-bedroom joint. Here in Orange County. Mm -hmm. And that was over a decade ago. Now Mm -hmm. it's way worse. Mm -hmm. Way worse. It's
2: also worse in uh, Boise.
1: Right. In Boise too. Everywhere. I mean, there's not a municipality in the country that if you're earning minimum wage, you can afford a two bedroom apartment. Not one. Nowhere.
2: Yeah. So Gavin Newsom has many flaws, but I want to read from that Ezra Klein article so that people can have a little bit more context in addition to these three bills that that he just signed. So Ezra Klein writes, quote, but in the two and a half years since Gavin Newsom became governor, they've more than doubled the size of California's earned income tax credit and young child tax credit and added a stimulus just for Californians, though some of the neediest were left out. They expanded paid family leave from six to eight weeks and unpaid leave to 12 weeks. They added 200,000 child care slots and 250 million to retrofit child care centers. They passed legislation giving all public school students two free meals a day, funding summer school and after school programs for two million children and creating a full year of transitional kindergarten for all four year olds by 2025. Bruce Fuller, a professor of education and public policy at the University of California at Berkeley, is quoted in this article, is saying Gavin Newsom is three years ahead of Joe Biden in terms of pro-family policy. So
1: not surprising
2: uh, in terms of
1: uh, the progressive policies he's able to get through hmm. because he's got a Democrat um legislature and senate Mm -hmm. he's able to get these things done Mm -hmm. he's not he doesn't have a recalcitrant republican opposition or even a slate of conservative democrats that are opposing him at every every turn Mm -hmm. joe manchin (laughs)
2: christian Christian cinema yeah
1: that last one was terrible sorry
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh not not perfect, but those things are all very amazing, and so is the vaccination rate in california okay yeah. very pleased about that uh things are very, very bad in idaho, and uh it's a bummer so um I don't really have a lot to say on that, but i uh am still not happy about that.
1: <laughs> you listen if there's any skill that you bring to the table Brittany, uh-huh. relative to podcasting sure it is the manner with which you lay down just <laughs> succinct segues from one segment to the next yeah moving on
8: i doubt it is a listener supported podcast support comes from our most loyal engaged intelligent and good good-looking looking listeners just like you via patreon Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast.
2: We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Diane S. Diane S. Julianne J. Julianne J. Karen. Karen. Jason M.
1: Jason M.
2: And Mia H. Mia H. Thank you so very much for your beautiful support of the show. Please do not forget that we are doing the Thanksgiving episode this year. What does that mean? Well, we ask the listeners to call in or send a voice memo to I Doubt it at dollamore.com, phone number 657-464-7609. We ask for listeners to share what they are thankful for this year. So people will reflect on their experiences during the year and the things that come to mind in terms of what they feel grateful for. No profanity as it is put on a family-friendly Thanksgiving episode that we do where we only cover positive news. News stories, uplifting information that's in the news, and things that we're grateful for. So start sending those in anytime. You can put in the subject line Thanksgiving 2021, and we will start a folder and put all of those into that folder so we can start prepping for the Thanksgiving episode. Additionally, do not forget that we have our monthly Patreon hangouts every Saturday, the last Saturday of the month. For this month, it's going to be September 25th, as that is the Last Saturday of the month, and it's going to be at eleven AM Los Angeles time. So we hope that you will join us if you are in the appropriate tier for the Patreon hangouts once a month, last Saturday of the month, this Saturday. Live Zoom twenty fifth. Yes. Not live like a live Zoom.
1: stream on YouTube where you chat to us. Nope. You're you're talking with your face to our face. Exactly. And then the other thing is we are right now having a fridge magnet design that we're yes. gonna send out. To every person who's a Patreon supporter. Yep. No matter the tier, you're going to get, we haven't landed on a a design yet, Mm -hmm. but I think it'll be a funny and bitchin' little, have I said bitchin' twice? Yeah, you
2: keep saying it. What's going on?
1: I think it's bitchin'.
2: (laughs) I don't think I've heard you say bitchin' Yeah, I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I'm not sure that I know.
2: Interesting. Anyway,
1: uh, it will not be bitchin'. It'll be really cool, though. Uh, a, a fridge magnet that we're going to send out to everybody. So if you want to get in on that, it'll be who knows, in the next couple months or something we're going to have it designed and shipped out. Uh if you want to well, get, get in on Well, it's an end of that, the
2: year gift. So by the end of the year.
1: That's right. Um so if you be, if you become a a a a Patreon supporter by the end of the year, you're going to be getting that and it's going to be great and it's going to it's going to just brighten your day when you look at your fridge and see our particular fridge magnet. Mhm. Affixed, Yes. Magnetically. Yep. To your refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Or any other magnetic uh, uh, surface. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for your support. We appreciate you very much. We love you. And we could not do what we do without your support. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism.
2: So, Jesse D., there's been something that I have been wanting to talk to you about. Oh. And is this an
1: intervention of some sort? The
2: U.S. <laughs> yeah, it's about an intervention of your use of the word bitchin'. That oh, is exactly what's happening. That's
1: necessary. So,
2: the U.S. Army is telling troops to get vaccinated soon or face discipline up to possible dismissal. Mm-hmm. Now, given your experience as a former Marine with the Bird Ball and Anchor mm. Marine Corps, yeah, what... Do you think about this?
1: Well, when I was in, I think I've mentioned this before, but they they did this thing where they were going to take our DNA, like uh, a blood, prick your finger and then have you bleed on a card and then it would be able to identify you if you die in combat or whatever. Mm -hmm. And conservative nutters... Like I was at the time. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, they're creating a database. And, oh, <laughs> fuck, whatever, dumb You're shit. already
2: in a database. You're in yeah, the exactly. Marine Corps. Yeah, I, I know.
1: <laughs> I didn't, there was no internet yet. So I didn't really have a, you know what I mean? So anyway. No,
2: I don't know what you mean, but yes.
1: Well, I'll continue.
2: Okay, please do. Um,
1: I made a fuss in my own head. And I talked to some of my, my um, the guys who lived in my barracks that I'm not doing it. I'm not, I refuse, I'm going to refuse. I fucking did it. <laughs> I got the prick on the finger, dripped my blood on the little cardboard card.
2: Now why? Why did you do it?
1: Because I don't want to get kicked out of the Marine Corps. Okay, there yeah, you go. It, also, because uh, I think that my my opposition to it was more performative mm-hmm. than it was truly ideological.
2: Interesting. Because
1: if I really felt the way I did, just yeah. acted like I did. If said it was a I principle stamp, a principled I stand. I would have just said, Yeah, well kick me the fuck out then. Yeah, which is what's happening right now that we're witnessing with the military and vaccines across the board. Mm -hmm. I mean, even even people in private companies who are being told, "Look, you're gonna, you have to get vaccinated, or you're gonna be fired." Mm -hmm. And they're like, "Oh, I'll just quit my job." And then, no, no, you don't. You're just gonna get vaccinated like everybody else because you don't really believe the things you say. You're just throwing a tantrum like a fucking child.
2: Well, and just three weeks ago, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said that 76% of active duty troops have received at least their first COVID yeah. vaccine dose. And now it's 89%. Since right. these Higher
1: than the national average, I would assume.
2: Since these mandates are coming out. And so... I, I think what you're saying is correct, that people are just going to do what they need to do because they, they can't actually quit their jobs yeah. and they don't actually want to leave the military. Um, I don't know how that would work in terms of honorable discharge and, and things like that.
1: Well, people often think uh, that there is only two kinds of discharges, honorable and dishonorable. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody who got a dishonorable discharge, they did some bad shit like rape or murder or something oh. real bad. Wow. To get a dishonorable, because there's so many different levels. There's what they call a big chicken dinner, the BCD, the bad conduct discharge. There's just regular administrative discharges. There's medical discharges. Hmm. There's, you know, there's a lot. It's not just honorable and dishonorable.
2: I see. Okay. So anyway. Yeah.
1: But you would for certain get a a discharge that wasn't honorable Mm -hmm. if you chose not to Follow the mandates of the military and get vaccinated. Because but, you've got, you've taken so many other vaccines yeah. in boot camp to become a Marine or a soldier or an airman or a sailor if you, you know, for some reason wanted to join the Navy.
2: Well, that's what I was going to ask you.
1: <laughs> te-
2: there's many. I have to
1: say I'm teasing.
2: There's many vaccines. Many. That you have to get. I have
1: no idea the number. I know you asked me earlier, like, how many? I'm like, I have no fucking idea. But it's a lot. It, it is... They have like it's not even like one little injection they have like a like a fucking air paint gun what's the airbrush like a connected to like a hose that just it's an assembly line of vaccination dear lord yeah it's not great
2: so apparently there's seventeen vaccines mandated by the military
1: that sounds right, and maybe more now than we when I was in, but it it's a it's a
2: lot. Yeah. So
1: to, to 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 pinpoint this particular one is the one that you're gonna draw the line on. Yeah. Is just dumb fuckery.
2: Okay. So I am glad that I asked you about this because uh, a very informative discussion was. I left. was happy
1: to be asked, Brittany Page. Were Thank you? you. Man, you have no idea.
2: Maybe I should have gone the intervention route. You're right.
1: It's a real good time. <laughs> Talking some, about
2: vaccines, some
1: would call it bitching. In fact. <laughs>
2: okay. Oh my god. So there is currently a crisis at the Texas border. There are thousands of Haitian migrants that are at the border attempting to ask for asylum. And of course, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is trying to stir up fear at the border. And his lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, is also making the rounds using white genocide White
1: supremacist arguments, yeah.
2: These are the things that they typically go to whenever immigration comes up. And please listen for the white genocide, white supremacist talking points because they are there.
7: Said we're there to help you. And then we found out that Border Patrol did not have permission from Homeland Security or the president. And so they came out and said, no, we didn't say we needed any help. We didn't say that. So, the Biden administration or someone in the administration flip flop in the issue. Texas did not take a back step. They asked for help, and we were going to help. Let me tell you something, uh, Laura, and everyone watching. The revolution has begun, a silent revolution by the Democrat Party and Joe Biden to take over this country. Tomorrow is Constitution Day, and folks, if you haven't read it, you need to read Article 4, Section 4 very quickly. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union and shall protect each of them against invasion and domestic violence and guarantee a Republican form of government. We need every state, every red state, because the blue ones won't do it, to send and invoke Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution to tell the president that we are being invaded. Now, invasion, properly defined by most, says... It's an unauthorized, uninvited, unwelcomed incursion in your territory or property. This is not authorized by the state of Texas. It's not welcomed by the state of Texas or any other Republican state that I know, and they're not invited. And so every red state should invoke this clause now because every red state is being impacted, and the blue states apparently don't care. Laura, when I say a revolution has begun... They are allowing this year probably 2 million, that's who we apprehend, and maybe another million into this country, at least in 18 years, even if they all don't become citizens before then and can vote in 18 years, if every one of them has two or three children, you're talking about millions and millions and millions of new voters. And they will thank the Democrats and and Biden for bringing them here. Who do you think they're going to vote for? So this this is trying to take over our country without firing a shot. That's it, what's is happening, your, Laura. And if you did, look at yes.
5: Dan let me just ask you, is is your concern yes. a political concern?
2: So uh Texas Governor Greg Abbott is saying the exact same thing, that he's trying to protect the state of Texas from being overrun by the chaos and overrun by migrants that are trying to get into the country. They're using this to appeal to the Republican voters in their state. That's really all this is. It's very transparent, especially when Biden is actually going to be deporting the migrants.
1: Not, Not only that. We we have seen a, a, a dramatic downtick of the number of refugees that we allow into the country. There's no guarantee of citizenship. You don't get to vote unless you're a citizen. This is all just fear-mongering on the part of these racists. That's just what it is. And Dan Patrick, they have just thrown away the dog whistles because Donald Trump has made it acceptable. Tucker Carlson has continued to, 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 to bear the mantle and uh, make it a completely acceptable thing to talk about this in the way that they are, devoid of any actual policy analysis.
2: Well, and why does it always come down to the children that migrants are going to have?
1: Right? Well, I- it's uh, self-evident. <laughs> Why? Because it gins up fear in white people who feel like they're being displaced because the demographics of America are changing. Well, Because they're losing their supremacy.
2: Right. It was an essentially a rhetorical question, given that we primed the pump, as it were, and had the listeners uh, thinking about white genocide and the Great Replacement Theory prior to listening to Dan Patrick. Yes! But when he's talking about how... If every single one of the migrants has two or three children, you're talking about millions and millions of new voters. Right, That's the right. way that they frame it in terms of new voters.
1: Because it's birth <laughs> rates. Because this is what white genocide is. That, yeah. That the, that there, are, there are higher birth rates in third world or black and brown countries. We are not having enough children. They are going to overtake us. That is what the encapsulated argument for white genocide and the Great Replacement Theory are.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. And also, I mean, they're making themselves out to be kind of the heroes of this story, right? Saving the Texans from being overrun. And like I said, even as it faces like criticism from human rights groups, the Biden administration is continuing to move forward with deporting the Haitians that are gathered here.
1: Thousands and thousands in a series of flights back to Haiti.
2: Right. The assistant, That's what
1: they're doing. That's what Biden is doing.
2: The assistant secretary for public affairs for the Department of Homeland Security said, quote, we have reiterated that our borders are not open and people should not make the dangerous journey.
1: Yeah, for sure. Anyway, there's a second part to this and it doesn't get any better.
7: That's it, what's happening, there, Laura. And if you did, look at... Yes, Dan, Let me
5: just ask you, Is is your concern... Yes. A political concern, a national security concern, an economic concern, a health concern,
0: all of the above, uh, a crime and
5: safety concern. Is, is it all of it? I mean, or, or sure. are you are so you going right yes. to the political? Because some people would say, oh, no. this is just all political for Dan Patrick. Or to, they, they just care about no, flipping no. the state. What do you think?
7: No, Let, again, Laura. What, what the Constitution says in section, Article Four, Section Four, it guarantees every state a republican form of government. What's a republican form of government? It's designed as it's designed or defined rather as a government that focuses on citizens running their government. We now will have the illegals in this country. Uh, denying citizens the right to run our government because our government, our representatives that we elect can't even stop them from coming. So this is denying us our government that's run by our citizens with illegals who are here, who are going to take... Our education, our health care. So it's its government, it's politics, it's health care, it's safety. Do you know how many thousands of people will die in America because of the drugs right. that are coming across the border or yeah, the gang we, violence? So, Laura, is, this isn't politics. Yeah, this it's a, is yeah, selling is, out our country.
5: It is a shocking dereliction of duty, but it's purposeful. Dan, thank you for it's that uh, reminder of Constitution Day. Uh, and I think beyond the state of Texas, Tomorrow. Americans are... are Torqued off about this, thank you. Torqued off! Um, General Milley claims that Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller. Wow, signed-
1: people are fucking torqued off! I tell you what, Brittany Page, nothing torques me off
5: more <laughs>
1: than bitching interviews <laughs> with Dan Patrick.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this is very Trump esque, right? Yo, They're- Trump! Baby, baby! They're, Ooh, they're going to skip the clip. They're going to take our education. They're going to take our health care. You, you know-, know, all that
1: fantastic health care in Texas.
2: Yeah, I mean, what does that even mean? What what does that even mean? Honestly, but this is uh, something that they're doing, right, is tying this to the Democrats position on immigration, right, by saying that because the Democrats have policies where they are open to pathways to citizenship for um, immigrants coming to the United States, that they are inviting this, And that this is a result of their policies. Even though, like we said, Biden is going to be deporting.
1: They're getting sent back. And Right or wrong. Right or wrong. I think there is a case to be made for a lot of these people to stay here, to remain here, because of the the dangerous situation in Haiti.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean,
1: the president was just assassinated in Haiti. It is an unstable area of the country right now. Absolutely. They also just faced a devastating uh, earthquake. So it, it is, th- th- an argument can be made, a cogent argument can be made to grant these people asylum. That's not what Biden's doing, though. That's why this argument is so salacious on its face.
2: Well, and at the same time this is happening, Happening. the Senate parliamentarian is ruining Democrats' lives again um, <laughs> when it comes to the $3.5 trillion <laughs> package. Ruining their
1: lives.
2: Um, Elizabeth McDonough, Remember? Elizabeth McDonough?
1: Yeah, I have a clip right here of her.
2: She's not a Christian! (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Not quite. I
1: I got you on that one. You were not ready for that one.
2: Yeah, so um, her ruling was that the Democrats cannot use their $3.5 trillion package to give millions of immigrants a chance to become citizens. Yeah. So.
1: Not through the reconciliation process. Correct. Right. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna get to that on another on the on the next episode. We're gonna get more into this reconciliation deal and the budget mess that we're facing right now. Well, I'm sure
2: she's gonna continue to ruin and the our battles. Lives.
1: Oh yeah, oh, here's an actual clip from her. She's
2: not a Christian.
1: <laughs> so, um, <laughs>
5: oh,
1: I think we should just pull this train right into the station. What do you think?
2: Does that mean in the show?
1: Yeah, I think it means in the show.
2: Well, okay. We're going to cut one of the clips, I guess. We're
1: going to cut two of the clips.
2: What about taking care of booze? No,
1: no. That's, we're keeping that, oh. but we're going to drop Fareed Zakaria. Oh, and... no.
2: I want to talk about Fareed Zakaria. Yeah.
1: Uh, oh, <laughs> Well, then, intro the clip.
2: Okay, so a big... We're not
1: going to talk about Missi- Mississippi fuck Governor Tate Reeves.
2: Although that was a great interview. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Just know that things are terrible in Mississippi, um, and he is not going to change anything about that in terms of COVID and Mississippians Ask dying of COVID. Asked multiple
1: times, what are you going to do? He, in the most... Just... It's terrible. So the He's one, a moron. The
2: one-year anniversary of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death was just a few days ago. And on that date, I tweeted that it would be a great day for Stephen Breyer to retire because there's a lot of pressure on Justice Stephen Breyer to retire from the Supreme Court while a replacement can be appointed by President Joe Biden.
1: Right. if Because if you wait until the last year of, of Biden's predis- presidency- we know what's going to happen. We've witnessed it happen yeah. over the course of uh, two separate justice appointments. Right. That Mitch McConnell is not going to allow Joe Biden to appoint someone.
2: Yeah. And I've, uh, Breyer's been making the rounds. Apparently, he wrote some sort of book and he's promoting it on various channels, including a Stephen Colbert show. Right. And he's been asked about retirement on every single show that he's on. Now, Farid Zakaria asked the question in the most artful way that I have heard so far.
1: Yeah, well, the, the, the I, I added a little bit more to the clip than what you instructed. Okay. And that is, his book is an argument that the court is not political, which mm. is just a fucking joke on its face. And so... The first minute or so of this clip is him explaining why uh, it's not political in the way you think it's political, that these justices are what you might call conservative, or some people would call liberal, (laughs) it's just this convoluted nonsense. And then Fareed gets to the question, which I agree, Brittany, very artful.
3: And I can think of a lot of cases, even recently, we recently decided that uh, uh, gay people, cannot be discriminated against by their employers. And the five that made that up, well, four are what you might call, quote, liberals, and one of them was not, was what you might call a conservative.
1: Pause. Uh, if you didn't know the clip was paused, I'm going to tell you it was paused. <laughs> um, he's talking about John Roberts. Mm. Chief Justice John Roberts, who has uh, sided with liberal justices because John Roberts' objective as the Chief Justice is to... Uh, maintain the credibility of the court and to not allow it to become viewed as a solely, wholly partisan operation. Now, he is not some liberal judge. He is a conservative judge, but he has uh, ulterior motives, not alternative motives, ulterior motives uh, with what he's doing.
3: Three times the Supreme Court has upheld Obamacare. And uh, we did that recently by a vote of 7 to 2. So some cases come out uh, in ways you, the political party, one or the other might favor, and some do not. Those differences of judicial philosophy, you pay more attention, complete attention, as Justice Scalia liked to do, to the text. Or do you also bring in, as I might like to do, consequences and purposes and values. The word liberty in the Constitution does not define itself. So there are many jurisprudential differences, and it isn't totally jurisprudential, but it isn't really right to say that it's political in the ordinary sense of politics. So you'd have to read this book with some care as you've done in order to see the complexity and nuance there. So is this ideal of a non-political court, uh,
6: of a non-partisan court, so important to you that you are willing to risk the fact that your successor might undo much of what you regard as the good you've done and might take the court and the country in a very different direction?
3: Now, what you're doing is asking about, will I retire? And eventually I will. I don't want to die there in office, and I haven't decided exactly when, but there are a lot of considerations, and uh, I uh, hope I take them all into account properly, and when the time comes to announce something, I will, but not here now.
6: Well, I think, as I said, this is a terrific book, and you, you, you know the central point you make, which is that the court's authority is this kind of mystical thing and should be...
1: All right. Enough of the S and of the D.
2: Again, what what are they? Uh, what are the special considerations? What does he need to consider, I, other than other people's rights?
1: That's right. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, to me, it is the height of selfishness that Stephen Breyer is not going to retire in an effort to save the court from becoming political.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I mean, you can talk about justice scalia all you want and how oh he just read the text he was a radical for decades he was a radical Mm -hmm. justice thomas is a radical gorsuch is a radical brett kavanaugh bart o kavanaugh is a radical amy coney barrett maybe the most radical among them the court is political And look, every day that Biden's not trying to pack this court and make it an 11 or a 13 or a 15-member court just fucking baffles me.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's disappointing. Like I said, though, this was the most artful way I've heard this question asked. And most of the time, it's like on Stephen Colbert, it was, are you going to retire? Let's have some ha-ha's and laugh about it casually while people's rights hang in the balance. Um, Very disturbing. And again, he's saying, I don't want to die in office. Well, you you don't really have control over when you're going to die.
1: Especially, I mean... He might bore himself to death. What a boring <laughs> fucking dude! Are you kidding me? God damn! Oh
2: my god!
3: Terrible. All right.
1: All right. Good times.
2: <laughs> Taking care of biz. Students in a southern Pennsylvania school district. Um. Yeah, that could have been better. Um. <laughs> Students in. At York. least it was in vaccine tourism <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah. One of these days, I'll get it figured out. What is this? Like the seven hundred and fiftieth episode? I'll get yeah. it. I'll get it at a thousand. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's when things will really come together for me.
1: Two hundred and fifty to go. All right. Uh, we have a goal.
2: Students in York, Pennsylvania, um, including Christina Ellis and other uh, children, are protesting a book ban. There are certain books that the district there has banned from being taught, and you'll be surprised about what types of books these are. That's yeah, a
1: running theme.
2: Interesting.
1: Weird.
8: Do you think the adults that banned these books have read these
2: books? Absolutely not. Oh, no, nope. definitely not. Absolutely not. Because
5: I don't think a moral compass could let you ban books that say Correct. equality and loving each other.
8: These teenagers in York, Pennsylvania, are standing up to the latest example of controversy surrounding history and race that is affecting a growing number of America's public schools. The
2: school board cannot just silence our voices.
8: Last fall, the all-white school board of the Central York School District unanimously banned a list of educational resources.
5: That resource list, which has a lot of bad ideas and some books that I would definitely not want in our district. And I do not feel it's balance, and I think it's divisive.
8: That list includes a children's book about Rosa Parks, Lala Yousafzai's autobiography, CNN's Sesame Street Town Hall on racism.
5: Racism? What's that?
8: And much, much more.
3: This is hidden figures. I don't, uh, the movie was, you know, uh, uh,
8: like from the movie. Yeah,
3: yeah. From the kids movie. version
8: of the book from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating for the students.
3: This is a board
8: that after hearing their students concerns about diversity in the district, hearing my struggles with race, being an Indian American and, and con- consistently feeling like I didn't belong. After all those conversations for weeks on end, they still pursued this book ban. I want to learn genuine history. I don't want to learn a whitewashed version. I want to hear all of it. I don't want to, I don't
5: want
2: everyone to be worried about how we feel because no one was worried about how BIPOC um, members of the community felt.
8: The ban caused school librarians to pull books from shelves and is creating real fear among educators.
1: I have to now, with this resource ban, think twice about whether or not I should or could use a James Baldwin quote as an opening for my
8: class.
5: There are teachers looking over their shoulders, wondering if someone's going to be at their door, darkening their door, that you said something or you mentioned something or you used something that you were not supposed to.
8: The fact that all the banned materials are by or about people of color is just a coincidence, according to the school board president. Concerns were based on the content of the resources, not the author or topic, she said in a statement. She and the rest of the school board refused to speak on camera. She says it's not a ban. The materials are frozen while the board vets them. But the process is still ongoing after nearly a year. That suits some parents in this 82% white district just fine. I don't want my daughter growing up feeling guilty because she's white. That sentiment is spreading. At least 27 states have passed or are considering policies strictly defining what students are allowed to learn about race. One expert says the York ban is something new.
5: Yeah, this seems pretty egregious. I mean, I can see how certain um, trainings or workshops that some parents take exception to seem really outside of what a history class can be expected to do. But the kind of texts that are being banned here make me feel that there is now just sort of an allergy to anything that mentions race or racism.
8: This is about more than a book or a movie or even a curriculum, some veteran teachers say. In York... They worry it's a war on their profession.
5: I am not an enemy of the state. That's right. I
2: am here to take care of your babies when they walk into That's my right. classroom. And there are some I'm looking up at, but they're still babies. So the all-white school board banning uh, books about Rosa Parks, Malala's autobiography. <laughs> I mean, come on. And a Sesame Street town hall on racism.
1: Yeah. All-white Banning all and only exclusively books about or by people of color.
2: So, but that's a coincidence. What
1: a coincidence!
2: That's just a I coincidence mean, that, just that it worked out like that.
1: Unfortunate coincidence.
2: <laughs> oh please! I mean, absurd. Also, can we can we fucking
1: finally dispense with this? I don't want my white daughter growing up thinking she's evil, or or whatever the fuck that idiot said.
2: Yeah, because it's not it's that doesn't happen
1: it's not the agenda that's not the that's not the 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 movement of of the of the of the lessons it's oh you're white you're bad it's hey man let's let's love one another let's give some empathy and compassion and an understanding of other people's lived experiences
2: well and deal with reality on reality's terms in terms of what happened and how Terribly white people did behave in the past. Yeah, but even and today,
1: listen, there are some school districts where even showing pictures of white people holding up the race mixing is communism signs. They don't even want to teach that. It is oh that's bad. That's negative on white people. Oh shit, we can't teach that. Yeah. That's really what it is. It's absurd.
2: Well, I remember you were having a conversation with um someone and they got really upset when you talked about their past because they felt it was like who they currently were or they couldn't that's like right. separate themselves from their past whereas You and I are very able to talk about who we have been in the past and like, yeah, that was not good that we were like that, but we're different now. Yeah, when I
1: was an evangelical Christian, I used to make the hateful argument that if we accept homosexuality, next thing you know, what, are we going to be having sex with dogs? I was a dumb fuck, hateful asshole because I was indoctrinated in Christianity and I... I made those types of arguments.
2: So it almost makes you wonder when he says, I don't want my white kid to feel like they're evil because of these things that are being taught. Well, like your white kid isn't racist.
1: She's not evil by virtue of the fact that she's white. Is No she? One is Or is saying she? That.
2: Or is she? Or are you? <laughs> are you racist? And that's yeah. why you're afraid. I don't want to be have... exposed
1: as a racist.
2: Yeah, that yeah. you don't want these things to be discussed or talked about. Well then that's kind of an indictment of you, right?
1: Yeah. But but let's get back to the to the crux of the segment. The kids. The kids are taking care of biz. I wish I would have been this involved mm-hmm. and not making the sex with dogs arguments at this age. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it is it it gives me a a an array of emotions, all built on hope for the future for sure. that this is what we have. Uh, I mean these kids hopefully end up running for office to mm-hmm. make a change in their in their society. In our society. Absolutely. In the twilights of our lives, hopefully there's an AOC among those kids. Absolutely. All right. We love you guys. We'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Email idoubtit at Dolamore.com. Become a patron. You can go to patreon.com/slash I podcast. That would be a fantastic way to help produce our work, help support what we do here. And uh, we will see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dolamore, and this has been I Doubt. It.